Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is so good to be with you after two Sundays of being off on vacation. I have to tell you, I have missed that. Uh, and I have missed you. Yeah, yeah, we can. I have missed you, and I have missed being in worship. I have missed you something fierce. But as the great Willie Nelson once said, you were always on my mind. And I want you to know I carried you with me, with you in my heart to Alaska as we, uh, as we were on vacation last week. So it's good to be back this morning. Uh, we're in the first week of a brand new sermon series. Uh, this new series is called Lake Life. And this is very much a, a summer series uh, because what better place for us to spend time at uh, during the summer months than at the lake. And of course, if we cannot be actually at the lake, then we might as well bring the lake to us. And the way that we're gonna do that is by looking at a series of five different stories that all took place at the lake. Because one of the things you've probably noticed anytime you read through the Gospels, you, you, you're, you're kind of, you can't help but notice how much time Jesus spent on the lake. It's where he grew up, it's where he was raised, it's where he did most of his ministry. In fact, through all four Gospels, you're reminded that Jesus often, whether he was preaching, teaching, doing miracles or whatever, Jesus was often on, near, by, or in the water at the lake. So these next five weeks, we're gonna look at what does it mean to live the life of discipleship as Jesus taught us at the lakeside. This morning we start with a very familiar passage of scripture, at least to some of you. Uh, I think to most of us, this is a very well-known passage of scripture. It comes from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, starting with verse one. Hear now the word of God. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, which was another name for the Sea of Galilee, uh, the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, and Jesus saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. Uh, the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were already washing their nets. So Jesus got into one of them, the one that was belonging to, to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down, and he taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he then said to Simon, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. But Simon answered him, Master, we have worked hard all night long, and we have caught nothing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And when they came and they filled both boats, both of them began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he then fell at the knees of Jesus, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching people. 
When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here collectively be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So back when I was serving a church in the mountains of North Georgia, uh, I had the privilege of leading a worship service every Sunday during the summer months on beautiful Lake Rabin. Uh, It was called Boat Church. And one of the unique things about Boat Church was the fact that I did not preach from like a dock or a boathouse or even on the shoreline. Uh, No, every Sunday they would put me in a pontoon boat. And they would bring me about 300 yards out into the middle of the lake. And it was there that boats from all around would come and gather around the pontoon boat. And I would then preach 360 degrees in the round to my floating congregation. Uh, It was a beautiful thing, and I always enjoyed uh, whenever I had the, the opportunity to lead boat church. But I will tell you that before my first Sunday preaching that, I was really nervous because I'd never done anything like it before and I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. So about a week before my first Sunday at Boat Church, I called the former senior minister and I asked him for advice. I said, Charlie, you gotta, you gotta give me some kind of clue as to what I'm in for here. Give me some kind of tips so, so I know how to, how to lead this service as faithfully as possible. And I remember he laughed over the phone. He just laughed and laughed and laughed. And he said, well, Jeremy, all I can tell you is Keep your sermons short. (laughs) Because I have found that the people in the boats tend to be impatient. And if you start to go too long, they will rev up their engines (laughs) and they will leave. Now, I got to tell you, hearing this for the first time, I was absolutely petrified by this news. I couldn't believe that anyone would be so rude as to leave in their boat in the middle of a sermon. I mean, I was, I, I was literally, I was mortified at the thought of this. And so the night before my first Sunday, I didn't get a wink of sleep. I'm laying there in my bed, just, you know, totally sweating, thinking about what it would be like to get halfway through the sermon And then somebody gets impatient, and they just rev that sucker up, and they go right on out of there. I just thought, no, this can't happen. And so I was very nervous going into that first Sunday. Well, I will will let you know that that first sermon actually went really well. And I thought it was very successful because not a single person left early. Now, was that because the first sermon was four and a half minutes long? I don't know. I mean, it could have been. But I like to think that it was just so good they had to stay through the end. Uh, The reason I mention any of this to you this morning is is simply because when you look at this story we read in Luke chapter 5, in my mind, that is the very first story of the original boat church. Because... Did you see what Luke said about Jesus and what happened that day? He said, Jesus happened to be standing on the, on the lakeshore, Sea of Galilee, or he calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. But he's standing on the lakeshore one morning when all of a sudden he notices two empty fishing boats that weren't being used. 
So he gets in one. And he pushes off a little ways from shore, and then he sits down. That was the, the position of, of teaching uh, back in the first century. And it was there that he began to teach the crowds that had come to listen. In other words, he, he had come to preach the very first sermon at Bow Church. And I like to think that Jesus got a little more than four and a half minutes that morning. But whatever the case, uh, it's not just his preaching at Boat Church that I find interesting, uh, but it's what happens after that that I find interesting. Uh, because Luke says that after he was done, he then uh, looked to the boat next to him, and he, he saw a man named Simon who had been fishing all night. And it was then that Jesus gave him this very kind of odd instruction. He said to Simon, put out into deep water, and cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Now to me, uh, that is uh, an odd instruction, at least for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's because if the Gospels make one thing clear, it's that Simon was no amateur fisherman. Uh, he was very much a professional. Uh, this is what he did for a living. This is how he made his money. This was his business. And so it stands to reason that he was one of the people on the lake who knew all there was to know about how the fish bite and when the fish bite and how it all works. I mean, this was a guy who knew how to go fishing on the lake. He was not the kind of guy who was looking for any advice. The second reason, though, is because of the circumstance that Simon describes in his response to Jesus. Because he starts very respectfully. He says, Master, which was his way of recognizing that Jesus was an authority figure. He was the kind of guy that other people listened to. And so it was a very respectful way to approach him. He says, Master, we've been doing this all night. We've been toiling away for hours on end but we don't have anything to show for it. In other words, you get the sense that what Peter or Simon is trying to say to, to Jesus here is, listen, sir, with all due respect, this is how it goes sometimes out here on the lake. You know, sometimes the fish are biting, sometimes they're not, but, but our lack of success is not for lack of trying. We've been out here all night. Unfortunately, we just... We don't have anything to show for it. Now, if you read between the lines, you absolutely get the sense that Simon has no interest in doing what Jesus asked him to do. He has no interest in putting his nets out into the deep water as Jesus has suggested. And I would imagine that most of us wouldn't blame him because we've all been in that position before. You know, you're working, you're closing up shop, you're just ready to go, and then someone comes in and orders lunch for the whole office or whatever. You're like, oh, really? We were just getting ready to go. And so you have to pull everything back out and fulfill the order. I think Simon was in the same boat. He's like, listen, I am, I'm, we're done. We're washing the nets. They're all put up. We're ready to go home and sleep. And you want us to... Give it one more shot. Goodness gracious. I think what I want you to notice in this part of the story is the fact that Simon didn't have to say yes to Jesus. You know, he, he could have easily politely declined. 
Or he could have said, thanks for the advice, but no thanks, I think we're good. Or he could have even gotten mad. He could have been adamant, excuse me, but who do you think you are? I mean, I don't come to your job and teach, tell you how to preach. Why are you coming to my job and telling me how to fish? He could have thought it was downright rude. There were so many different ways that Simon could have responded to this response from Jesus. But what I want you to notice is, in spite of his reluctance, in spite of his, his inner resistance to this, I think Simon mustered all the faith he could possibly gather up in that moment. And what does he say? But if you say so. Now, if you say so is one of those phrases that I was very familiar with growing up because I used it all the time in my conversations with my parents. You know, I can remember coming home from school and I would want to go out and play basketball with friends or whatever. And I would say, Mom, I'll be back in a couple hours. I'll be back for dinner, but I'm going to go play with some friends. And she'd say, you've done your homework already, I, I assume. Well, not yet, but I promise. I'll do it after supper. It'll be fine. I promise I'll get it done. It's easy. It's not much. She'd say, you are going to go upstairs, and you're going to do your homework, and then once you're done, you can go outside and play. But mom, you don't understand. They're waiting for me at the park right now. And she would say, Jeremy Michael Lawson. And as soon as she pulled out that middle name, I knew I was done for, and I kind of resigned myself to the fact that it wasn't going to work out, and so I would stomp my feet up the stairs, and I'd say, fine, if you say so. Very reluctantly, I think Simon says to Jesus, if you say so. But of course, what happens next is almost downright comical, because Luke says that the moment that Simon acquiesces. The moment that he says, fine, I'll do it, is the moment that he drops the nets into the water and they are immediately filled with so many fish that the nets literally begin to break. So they call over their partners. They call over James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They, he says, come on, guys, can you help? We've got too many. They start putting all the fish in the boats to the point that both of the boats start to sink. Now, the temptation in this story is to go from this part to the next part, which is filled with all of the stuff that you and I know and love. It's the part where Simon comes to his senses. He offers a, a, a response of, of confession and repentance, and I'm so sorry. And then Jesus calls him into a life of discipleship, where he literally leaves his business, his boats, his everything to follow Jesus. That's the temptation for us this morning. But we're not going to succumb to that just yet. Because what I want us to focus on is the fact that none of this would have been possible if Simon hadn't said yes. Was it a reluctant yes? Was it an unenthusiastic yes? I think it was. But nevertheless, if he had let his pride or his ego, if he had let his, his skepticism about Jesus' words get in the way, he would not have been on the receiving end of one of the greatest miracles of abundance that Jesus had ever performed. And it all started with four simple words. 
if you say so. I wonder if that's not a word that all of us would do well to hear loud and clear this morning. I wonder if that's not the reminder that so many of us need. Because it's a reminder to me that, you know, sometimes the most unexpected blessings of life happen not when we refuse to try something new, when we insist on fishing from the same spot that we've been fishing from over and over and over again, but rather when it's when we hear the voice of God and we find a willingness within us to simply try something new. That sometimes the greatest miracles of abundance are waiting for us on just the other side of the boat. And all that God wants from us is the smallest amount of obedience. It's a willingness to cast our nets into a place that we've never cast them before. He's simply willing, waiting for us to say if you say so. Of course, in order to do that, that of course requires a whole lot of trust. And I do think that that's ultimately what this story is about. I, I think this is a story about trust more than anything. Because what Jesus wants Simon to know is, is that there are certain things in this world that only God knows. And there are certain things in this world that only God sees. And so it is that when God calls us to do something in our lives that is new and different and maybe even a little scary, the question that God asks us isn't, hey, do you see the full picture here? Or do you understand everything that I'm doing here? Are you comfortable with this? Those aren't the questions. The only question that God wants to know from us is, do you trust me? Do, do you trust that I can see the whole picture? Do you trust that I know what I'm doing? I think that that's what Jesus was ultimately asking Simon. Do you trust me? If you do, then put out into the deep waters and cast your nets on the other side. And with all the faith he could muster, Peter said, if you say so. To me, it's a reminder that sometimes that's all it takes for God to be willing to pour out his blessings in our lives. Is our obedience, reluctant as it may be. Because remember, Jesus, Jesus never said that's the, it's faith the size of a mountain that can move a mustard seed. Now what did he say? It's faith the size of a mustard seed that can move mountains. And so it is that the only question he wants to know is, do you trust me? Now, as some of you know, as I mentioned earlier uh, last week, my family and I were on a vacation uh, to a destination that has been, for me, it's always been like one of those bucket list places that I couldn't wait to go. It's always been uh, like one of my, my greatest dreams. Uh, our whole family went on a seven-day cruise to Alaska, and it was an amazing trip, and it certainly did not disappoint. But while we were there, one of the first ports that we, we went to was a little place called Sitka. 
And while Sitka is a very beautiful uh, Alaskan town, it is also a very expensive Alaskan town because it's one of those little touristy ports uh, where they, they know that they've kind of got the cruise people right where they want them. There's no other game in town, and so they can really just charge whatever they want. You go into a shop and a Coke is like $7, and an ice cream sandwich, I'm not lying, was $10. And as someone who has the spiritual gift of being frugal, that was really, that was really hard for me to swallow. Like my heart hurt looking at some of these prices, especially traveling with three teenagers who were very hungry. So I remember we came out of one of the shops and I was like, no, 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 we're not getting any of that stuff. We'll wait for the next shop. And we're walking around and all of a sudden we spy this guy setting up a, a, a popcorn stand in front of a little Lutheran church right there in downtown Sitka. And as we came closer, I, I, I looked at the prices and, and for a bag of freshly popped popcorn, it was two dollars and his 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 bottles of water were were one dollar and i remember just feeling like this was manna from heaven i literally prayed right there in the middle of the street i said thank you lord for this wonderfully affordable sustenance and we went over to the popcorn stand and we loaded up well as we're talking to the guy i said now what is all of this for he said um he said it's actually uh it's actually to help support our missions here at the church. Every dollar you spend will go to help support our, our missions, so we really appreciate it. So that made it even easier and better. A little while later, uh, his wife came out of the front doors of the church, and she said, um, hey, if anybody would like a tour of the church, I'd be happy to show you around. Of course, my spiritual gift was still intact, and I said, how much for the tour? She said, free. I said, my favorite price. Let's go. And to this day, that was still my favorite excursion of the trip. Now, as we come out of the tour, it was a wonderful tour, small space, but it was really, really cool to see all of the different things. I fell back into conversation with the popcorn guy. And I was asking him, you know, questions about the church. And I was telling him just how much we admired it. We enjoyed seeing his church. And he said, well, you know, this isn't actually my church. I said, really? What, what, what do you mean? He said, well, my, my real church is actually um, it's back in Raleigh, North Carolina, where my wife and I are from. Uh, we're just uh, volunteers here. I said, really? <laughs> well, how did you find your way all the way up to Sitka, Alaska? And he said, well, that's an, actually a, kind of an interesting story. He said, I, I have a, a Sunday school back home that receives emails every week about different mission opportunities within the Lutheran church. And uh, one time we got this email that talked about a mission in Sitka, Alaska that really needed people's help because they did things all around the community. They had like a handyman service and they had a, a, an after school program and, and a feeding ministry and it was just all really good stuff, vital stuff in the community, but they don't have a lot of people to help with it. And so they were looking for people to offer themselves for literally months on end to come and volunteer their time free of charge to help with the mission. Well, as you can imagine, that's not an easy thing for a lot of people to say yes to. You know, there's not a lot of people that have the ability to just uproot their lives, move across the country, and spend months in Alaska. So nobody in the Sunday school class said yes. But he said, I, I couldn't help but feel like that's what God was calling me to do. 
I just felt like God was, was tugging on my soul, saying, this is what I want you to do, and this is where I want you and your wife to go. I just could not shake the feeling that this was what God's calling on my life was. And I said, and so here you are. Look at you. And he said, no, that's not how it happened. I said, what do you, what do you mean that's not how it happened? He said, no, that was two years ago. And for two years, I came up with my list as to why this wasn't going to work. I came up with my list of all the reasons why this was too much of a risk and we can't possibly afford it and it's not going to work and we've got kids and grandkids and they need us and this isn't going to work, God. And I said a firm no. But what I learned is that God is very stubborn. And even when you say no, that's just his signal to wait until you say yes. He's very patient like that. And he said, through a manner of different things, he said, I continued to feel that God was nudging me to do this. So I finally said, fine, God. I'll go if you say so. So we've been here ever since. We've been here for about four months now. I said, so how's it been? And he smiled and he said, life-changing. Then the conversation shifted back to, to me and my family. He started asking about us. He said, now, now where are y'all from? And I said, well, we're from, from Athens, Georgia. He said, do you go to church there? I said, yeah, actually we do. <laughs> I said, we're very regular. And uh, he said, really, you go to church every Sunday? I said, well, not the past two Sundays, but normally, yes, we are in church every week. He said, so you're, you're a Christian? I said, I am. He said, in that case, can I, can I give you some unsolicited advice? If you ever feel like God is calling you to do something deep in your soul, if you can't shake the feeling that God is nudging you in such a way to do something that even if you're reluctant, even if you're resistant, even if you don't understand, here's my advice, do it anyways. That's what I've learned, just go ahead and do it. Because what I've learned is that God knows what God is doing. <laughs> you know he's right, right? And therefore, the only thing that I would add to that this morning is to simply say that no matter what God has been putting on your heart, whatever God has been calling you to do, and I have no idea what that means for all of the people in this room, but wherever it is that God has been calling you to cast your nets into the deep waters of something totally different and new, what I want you to know is God can be trusted. And so therefore, even if you feel hesitant or resistant or reluctant, I hope you'll go ahead and just do it. I hope that you'll trust Him. And sometimes... The most faithful way that we can express that trust is with four simple words. If you say so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.